Welcome to the Medicare Meetup. I'm Meg Kepke, and I'm joined today by my colleagues and co-hosts, Melissa Cohen and Breda Eshelman. This podcast is brought to you by Arrera Health Group, a mission-focused policy, strategy, and operations practice committed to making healthcare more affordable, more accessible, and high quality for all. We meet monthly to recap the Medicare news of the day and look ahead. Tune in each month for fresh content and watch for our mini-series devoted to special topics throughout the year. Welcome back from a summer hiatus, Medicare Meetup listeners, although it still feels like summer here in D.C. It's a weird combination of pumpkin spice lattes and splash parks that are still going strong. (laughs) What a combo. I keep hearing, we're back in my head, and it's a bit more poltergeisty than necessary because being back here with the two of you is a good thing. Right. Thank you. Uh, Should we tell listeners what they can expect from the new monthly format? Yeah, I'll take this. Listeners, having finished the opening series of the podcast, eight episodes that are available for replay, we're moving to a new monthly format that coordinates with our weekly Medicare newsletter. Here, we'll recap highlights from Medicare news and look ahead to what's around the corner. We also have a few new segments we'll try out, including one where you can participate. That so eloquently brings us to our first segment on the docket. So team... What are some of the things on the docket for us this fall? Well, it's high season for health policy conferences. And Meg just hosted an epic debate between Melissa and me on the topic of overlaps between alternative payment models at the virtually co-located value-based care summit. For the record, the correct position is death to overlaps. Do not agree. Not only was the debate a bit of a nail biter, but I think we picked a pretty relevant topic considering that CMMI also held not one, but two listening sessions with stakeholders on how model overlap should be addressed. This is definitely something to watch out for in the coming months. CMMI knows it's an issue and is looking for ways to address. During the listening sessions, we heard a lot of interest in this idea of layered models or model within a model within a model type concepts. We did hear a lot about that. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of um, fair, constructive feedback about the complexity of models and how they have grown more complex over time. I'm not sure that layering models or models within models is sort of directionally (laughs) correcting for that, but it will be very interesting to see. We also heard about the administration's focus on health equity. And I have to say here that sometimes it feels like we're hearing, um, what we're hearing about health equity sort of begins and ends with those two words. You know, we heard that internally CMS is raising the subject of health equity in every meeting explicitly. And this is good. This is important. They should be doing this. But what about it? The specifics still feel like they're around the next corner. And um, will it be new data collected? Will there be data available? Um, Will there be new measures, uh, new requirements for Medicare Advantage or for CMMI models? It seems like we'll have to wait and see. Indeed. And speaking of health equity, NACOS, the National Association of ACOs, just held its fall conference, and they also had health equity and health disparities on the agenda. Melissa, you ran an MA workshop for ACOs. Do you have anything you want to say about that? I did not run the workshop. It was actually hosted by Allidade, but I was invited as a panelist. And the meat of the program was around how ACOs could be successful in MA, which 
is an important topic considering the recent Medicare trustees report that about half of Medicare beneficiaries will be in an MA plan by 2030. We talked about what is the same and what is different from the ACO programs that CMS typically run. Ooh, ooh, I have two questions. Uh Um, So first, (laughs) what is the same and what's different? But also, um, how reliably do we think that projection of 50% of beneficiaries migrating to an MA plan by 2029 will hold or change based on the possible addition of dental vision and hearing benefits to traditional Medicare? I'm thinking that might significantly level the playing field between MA and Medicare. And so I'm wondering if you think that that projection holds. Okay. So first questions first, what is the same and what's different? The same, I would say, focus on risk stratification of patients to identify where prevention, early intervention, care navigation can be helpful to overall cost and quality. And I think also this investment in healthcare adjacent services like transportation and healthy food that can have huge effects on overall well-being but are not traditionally paid for by Medicare. But um, what's different? The financial incentives on these Medicare Advantage models are different. MA plans are really focused on revenue generation, and that is done through star ratings and risk adjustment factors. Cost containment in these models is usually secondary. With CMS ACO models like the Medicare Shared Savings Program, there is no capitation payment and risk scores are capped. So risk adjustment is is less of a focus, but the direct contracting model turns some of that thinking on its head. So we'll see what happens there. And now for your second question. If Medicare fee-for-service has added benefits that make MA plans potentially less attractive, will they continue to exponentially grow? I I don't know, but I think that they will have to continue to innovate in the same way that Medicaid managed care has brought non-traditional providers into their networks. MA will have to continually find new ways to not just compete against their peers, but now against traditional Medicare. I think you see some of this starting to happen now where they provide new services like home modifications, for instance. Not many MA plans are doing that right now, but that may change. Gym memberships are not going to cut it anymore. (laughs) Too true. And still coming up for this fall, Roundtable on Caregivers, hosted by Sagacity, and the National Academy of Medicine Conference in December around payment innovations for care for populations experiencing intellectual and developmental disabilities. In other news, Arrera now has a weekly Medicare newsletter to keep you apprised of all the latest Medicare news and why it matters. If you are not already subscribed, you can sign up at bit.ly slash Arrera Medicare newsletter. And with that, we move to our next segment, News Roundup. So many things were happening this past month. Who wants to go first? Me. A recent New York Times story talked about the use of antipsychotics in nursing homes, and this has only been exacerbated during the pandemic. One in nine nursing home patients are diagnosed with schizophrenia to be given these antipsychotic drugs, and this is compared to one in 150 in the general population. What did you guys think of this report? In a phrase of yours, Melissa, that I've really come to embrace, I have questions. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is so true that nursing homes really suffered during this pandemic with staffing shortages and high mortality rates. It's been brutal. It's hard actually to pull something as large and complicated as the ongoing pandemic into focus when thinking about nursing homes. Uh, there are studies that say nursing home residents have better health when they have a personal relationship with the staff who care for them. And this pandemic brought a relentless toll of premature death to those residents and that mortality to those workers uh, in a day-to-day -day basis. And my heart breaks for them, really. Uh, we lost my grandmother, Ruth, in this way, so it's personal. But I also feel for the hundreds of thousands I can't name and the many more hundreds of thousands who encountered the toll of the pandemic in their day-to-day -day work. So... My questions, you know, I, I read this report and I wondered how the one in nine compares to pre-pandemic times. I wonder how much of this is just for sedation and, and to ease agitation. And it occurs to me that I'm not really up to speed on all things um, that are treated with antipsychotics. It, it made me uh, think more about how this isn't the life we'd want for ourselves or our loved ones someday. Yeah, the pandemic really put a spotlight on problems that have existed in the American long-term care system for a long time. You know, surveyors have found infection control deficiencies during nursing home inspections pretty consistently for years. So CMS could have predicted that they would be especially vulnerable to a pandemic. And I hope that the pandemic will be a catalyst for improvements, but I'm not actually very optimistic that it will generate the kind of sustained attention and action that we need to address these problems. It reminds me of a Washington Post article I read last winter about how COVID infections and deaths were lower in non-traditional homes like the Greenhouse Project, which develops very small homes with personalized care. And in that article, Bill Thomas, one of the founders of the Greenhouse Project, had this quote that really rang true to me. He said, the pessimistic side of me always remembers that people living in nursing homes are the lowest of the low, the oldest, sickest, frailest. Imagining that America can sustain righteous indignation on behalf of these people requires some suspension of disbelief. Wow. Yeah. You know, we, we toggle in our work day to day and on this podcast sometimes between heavy moments like that and maybe frivolity is too uh, loose a word, but we have some fun. And I, I think you have to. I mean, we we and our team at Herrera, you know, we're out here in this work. This is where the work is. We need to show up for it and make a difference, but it can be heavy and it's important to, to mix in some lightness so you can keep showing up for the work. Um, and I'm going to transition us uh, away from nursing homes into reconciliation. And I'll admit that there are so many stories coming out about the reconciliation bill and what's in it and the political alliances and fallouts and stalemates that sometimes I lose track of exactly where we are today. But Breda, if the reconciliation bill passes in its current form, there is a massive expansion for Medicaid home and community-based services to allow seniors to stay in their homes if that's their choice. That is true, although it looks like the original $400 billion amount for HCBS got whittled down to $190 billion as of when we're recording. And it also doesn't solve the fact that almost every state has wait lists for home and community-based services, and that only people with Medicaid are eligible for HCBS. It's noticeable that nobody proposed to add, for example, a long-term care benefit to Medicare in the reconciliation bill, 
which would have greatly expanded access to long-term care services, even for seniors without Medicaid. Uh, in these scenarios, there is always so much pressure on family caregivers that just don't have a lot of support. It reminds me of one of our interview guests from season one of the Medicare meetup, Ellen Ripberg, and her experiences caring for her mother during the last few years of her life. Supporting caregivers is definitely the next frontier. And, uh, you know, we, ha we, we have spent a decade very focused on value-based care. I don't think we've gotten as far down the field as any of us wanted. Um, maybe that persistent impatience is okay. Uh, but the next frontier is caregiving. And we're seeing a lot of action out in the landscape. The Wider Circle is an organization that works to establish maybe they would phrase this differently, but cohorts of friends that are members of a health plan who can help stay in touch and be together and maybe, you know, um, remind each other that it's, you know, we're coming up on flu season and it's time to get your flu shots. Um, some regional Blue Cross Blue Shield plans are piloting paying family members for transportation. There's a lot of small innovation happening out there. Um, there's a lot of technology. And, you know, we know that there's no single app to solve this, but there's an area that's ripe for innovation. There is not always an app for that. Isn't that an expression? Yes. In other reconciliation news, expansion of dental, vision, and hearing is exciting, but may not happen. And if it does, may not take effect until the next millennia or 2025 and 2028, which sort of feels like the next millennia because of a need to create fee schedules. Right. Yeah. I want to say bogus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are not buying the idea that you need that long to develop in particular a dental fee schedule. I totally agree. Uh, when I worked at an FQHC, we had to put together a charge master for dental services, and we just basically Googled and copied an existing Medicaid fee schedule. Not that complicated. Um, but, you know, the real reason for the delay, supposedly, is that these bills get scored over 10 years. And so the price tag is much lower when you delay the start until 2028, uh, which I like to call budget shenanigans. And of course, we're also <laughs> still waiting to see if that reconciliation package will include Medicare drug price negotiation, too. I'm not going to hold my breath to see whether or not drug pricing is included. But uh, in other news, the trustees report is also out and it notes the current anticipated Part A insolvency strikes in 2026. That year used to sound a lot further away. I have a kid that's graduating high school in 2026. It feels close. Uh, the report also notes the growing shift to Medicare Advantage, and all of these things are mixing together in a soup or we'll say like a cauldron since it's October. I think they all point to a renewed focus on value, a future where dental, vision, and hearing are available to traditional Medicare beneficiaries and the shift to MA reaches a tipping point and cost pressures are high. That's a future with a lot of potential for change. Now it's time for our segment in real life. We are seeking your real life stories about people in and around healthcare that go above and beyond. This could be a caregiver of a family member, a physician, a nurse care navigator. We spend a lot of time on this show and in our work focused on how to fix healthcare, how to improve things that aren't working. We wanted to call out in this section and devote a moment of time to people who are really working hard every day to give Medicare loved ones the 
lives the the real care they need to allow them to live their lives with dignity. Please send us your stories by emailing us at medicare at herrerahealth.com. Breda, Melissa, do you have an example to start us off today? I do. I want to call out my dad. Uh, My uncle Howie recently lost his wife, my amazing Aunt Ruth, who was such an incredible mother and grandmother as well as an aunt. Um, It was hard for the whole family, especially because of COVID and With all of that going on, my uncle also ended up needing a knee replacement last month. And without family nearby, my dad flew from New York to Florida to help him with the recovery, with grocery shopping and all the other activities of daily living. Um, This was surprising because I did not know that my father knew how to grocery shop. And it was the first time that they spent time alone together for 50 years since they were kids living with their parents. Um, They both found the time rewarding, according to my father. I don't know my uncle's side of the story yet. But it just reminded me of the pressure that is put on families and caregivers, especially when loved ones are far away and, and, and need help. Luckily, my uncle is feeling much better and is already back on the tennis court, but that is definitely not always the case. So just wanted to give a shout out to my dad and all the other family caregivers out there that do this really important work every day. Way to go, Melissa's dad, and best wishes for continued healthy recovery, Uncle Howie. And now we will end each show with an aha moment. Does anyone know the scene in Coming to America where Eddie Murphy is dressed as an old Jewish man in a barbershop and telling a joke? A waiter brings a man some soup and the man tells the waiter to taste it. And the waiter says, why? Why? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it too salty? I may be messing up this joke. And the man says, just taste the soup. And the waiter gives in and finally says, okay, okay, I'll taste it. Where's the spoon? And the man says, aha, aha. That's what I think about when I hear the term aha. But I digress. Who had an aha moment in Medicare this month? I suppose I did. Um, I do remember that scene. That's a good little trip down memory lane. That's a deep pull. We call that in our house a deep pull. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So, um, Growing up in healthcare in the Minneapolis-St. Paul community, um, there was a really concerted effort in the late 90s and early aughts to address diabetes. I mean, it was everywhere. It was, it was you know, primary care interventions. It was the medical school. It was Mayo Clinic. It was all the health systems and all the health plans. We were all going to, I think the goal was to eliminate diabetes and newsflash, I'm not sure we did that. But, but anyway, you, you couldn't work in healthcare without hearing a lot about diabetes. And somehow in all of that, I missed something that we were educated about this past week by um, our friend Charlie at Fitscript. And that is that all of the medications that are currently prescribed for diabetes are really only clinically indicated for those who engage in moderate exercise 150 minutes a week. And 
we were on the call with him and I, I just was kind of stunned by it because I, then I was like looking back and I'm like, Oh yeah, every commercial for these medications shows people working out. I mean, that must be required through some sort of, you know, um, drug marketing requirements and stuff. But I know a lot of diabetics and I don't know a lot of them who are engaging in moderate, um, to rigorous exercise 150 minutes a week. So that was a big wake up call for me. And, um, it's important. We added this segment because I think it's important to stay humble and no matter how long you've been in healthcare or in any of the specific areas of expertise that we have, you learn new things all the time. Aha, for sure. I don't know how many people in my life, let alone diabetics, that get 150 minutes of exercise every week. That's just a hard thing to do, especially in these times. And I think this takes us to the end of this week's episode. Please give us feedback on the new format and tell us your in real life moments in healthcare. We want to know. Thank you for joining us for the Medicare Meetup today. If you liked what you heard, be sure to tell us, share the podcast, follow us on Twitter at Arrera Health. That's A-U-R-R-E-R-A Health. If you have questions or thoughts about future guests or to subscribe to our Medicare News Roundup, you can always reach us at Medicare at ArreraHealth.com. Finally, before we go, have you hugged your Medicare loved one today? No? Do it. Hugs are back. Medicare is destination health coverage. We all end up here if we're lucky. But isolation isn't the destination we want for ourselves or for one another. So reach out, text, or send mail. People love mail. And until next time, this has been Breda, Melissa, and Meg with your Medicare Meetup.